Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I like watching uh, sort of documentary series to go to bed. Long documentary, long documentary series that will run one after the other as I sleep in the background. I don't know. It kind of lulls me to sleep. For the longest time, I was watching The Story of India with Michael Wood, which is a six-part thing. It was fantastic. Michael was a guest here. But after watching that maybe a hundred times, I looked around for something else. And I saw this series on world religions hosted by Ben Kingsley. So I do that for a while. And I became moved to actually get a guest in here to go through that because it's pretty interesting to, to see how they're different and also see how they're the same. And a lot of questions were rolling around in my head while watching it. I've written them down, and we have a guest, John Paul Sidner, Ph.D. John Paul is, is the name we're going to use, correct? Associate Professor of Theology, Religious Studies at Emmanuel College, Chair, Department, Theology and Religious Studies, Emmanuel College. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Bradley. Okay. We're going to go through the religions, and just it'll be the in-real-life version of that program, but also... Why is it important for a person who believes in one religion to study other religions? I think you can learn a lot about your own religion by studying other religions. It's a lot like travel, I would say. So, for example, if you've grown up in one place and lived in one place and haven't traveled uh, very much, it's kind of hard to understand where you live and the culture that has produced you. But if you travel and see some of the world and then come back, you have a better, better understanding of your um, hometown. And I think studying other religions is very much the same way. It gives you a deeper sense of who you are and where you come from. When you're teaching students religion, some of them are probably steeped in their own religion. And unlike travel, I'm, I bet it's easier to get people to travel than it is to learn about other religions because, of course, there's a conflict. I'm learning about this religion that other people believe in, but wait, it's not mine. It can't possibly be right. You run into that? I, I actually, I really don't. Most of the students that I encounter are very curious and inquisitive, and they want to learn about another religion. Um, they're trying to answer some of the big questions in life, and they're interested in the answers that different religions provide while they kind of construct their own worldview. What are the big questions that they come up with? Uh, big questions are, who am I? Why am I here? Why is there something instead of nothing? What happens to us after we die? How should we act while we're here? How should we conduct ourselves? Um, those are the, the, the main big questions. And how many of your students, uh, if you ask, are religious and, and are devout and they follow some sort of religious code? Uh, I would say it's definitely a minority. Uh, these days, most... Uh, young people tend to be what's called nuns. Nuns is not N-U-N-S, but N-O-N-E-S. Someone who, when asked to check their religion, will check nun, N-O-N-E, at the end. Uh, that doesn't mean they're atheists or non-religious. It just means that they tend to not associate with a specific religion. Wouldn't it kind of make them non-religious? Uh, no, they could be uh, spiritual but not religious. 
They could be seeking religion, but they don't know which one. Some of them are completely indifferent to religion, but that's very much. Um, the nuns are actually quite an internally diverse group. Who takes your course? Pardon? Who tends to take your course? People are trying to searching, or are they taking it for credit? Uh, at Emmanuel College, we have a general requirement in religious studies. They have to take two classes in religious studies. So everybody's going to take two classes in religious studies. That being said, once the students are in the class, uh, they might have some regret about having to take a class. But once they're in there, they tend to really engage the questions and engage the material and be quite inquisitive. Is it possible to follow two religions? Absolutely. Do people do that? Absolutely. In fact, that's the norm in much of the world. For example, in East Asia, in Chinese religion, uh, you can be Buddhist, you can practice your local folk religion, you can be Confucian and Taoist all at the same time. And in, and in India, they have a whole bunch of religions, and you can be a number of them, correct? Uh, there's a little bit maybe less overlap in India. India has been westernized to a certain extent in that you kind of practice one religion or the other. But if you go to Nepal, which is right next to India, you can say, are you Buddhist or are you Hindu? And the person will say yes. Both. Okay. Are there particular religions that tend to go well together? Um, <laughs> it's kind of interesting. The more similar they are, the ten they uh, they have a tendency to be less mixed. Uh, right now, I think two of the religions that really are are being mixed a lot are Buddhism and Christianity. And that's because I think a lot of Christians find Buddhist spiritual practices helpful. I think that um, some Buddhists have been stimulated by the prophetic Christian uh, tradition in Christianity, the, the call to improve societies and make societies more just. So I think there's a lot of conversation going on there. Excellent. You're, I can already tell you're an excellent guest, uh, so I'm looking forward to this. We're, and we're going to dig into the individual religions now, but... John Paul says, hey, I can turn you on to better documentaries than the Ben Kingsley one. Yay, good. I'm, I have a pen and a paper. I'm ready to go. What are a couple of the good ones? I could recommend a bunch, but I'll begin. I think one of the most powerful documentaries I've seen is called Faith and Doubt at Ground Zero, and that's about people's different religious reactions to the tragedy on 9-11, and it just goes through all the different reactions. Some people were religious. They became atheists. Some people... Um, were atheists and became more religious, and it, it gives how they reacted, why they reacted in that way, and it's a very, very profound and thought-provoking documentary for anybody who watches it, no matter their uh, religious orientation. Okay, there's one. Can I have another one? That's uh, There's another one called Pilgrimage to Mecca that was made by National Geographic, and that follows three pilgrims to Mecca and follows them through the entire Hodge. And that's very interesting because that particular documentary kind of just lets you into the personal lives of three very different Muslims from different areas of the world. One's a female American, one's a male Malaysian, and one's a male South African. Uh, very interesting just to get a glimpse inside Mecca itself. Okay. All right, let's get into the religions. I'm starting with Buddhism because I, I feel like it has something that works for me right away mm -hmm. and uh, the the short and incorrect version i'm sure of of what buddhism is all about is basically you need to give up which is interesting 
you, you, they say, look, pain is caused by your desire. You need to let go of your desire. But, of course, desire is not just for, for stuff. It can be desire for a relationship, a desire even to live. You probably have to let go of your desire to live. In other words, at the end of the day, give up. Where am I wrong? I, by the way, if you try that, folks, it's really relaxing. Well, that, that that interpretation can be sounds a bit um, nihilistic at times. It does. It it does. Uh, so I think a better uh, interpretation might be to say you need to give up your self centered cravings. Okay. And that's your self centered cravings that cause you to suffer, but you can still have a calm uh, desires plan. So you can you can work toward nirvana. You can hope to achieve nirvana one day, particularly in the Mahayana tradition, you can hope to achieve nirvana for the sake of other beings. So you can help other beings achieve nirvana. That makes it a selfless desire rather than a selfish desire. So personal cravings. Can you define the personal cravings as opposed to well, desire for um, power over the desire yeah. for wealth, um, to be wealthier than others relative to others? Uh, the desire for illicit sex or for um, intoxicants that will cloud your mind okay, rather than clarify your mind. Okay, but what about desire to be healthy? That's fine. That, why is that Absolute, okay? Why is it fine? Because that's... Uh, but that can cause you pain. The idea is to get rid of pain by letting go of your desire, forgetting about your desires. And a, a uh, desire to be healthy all the time would cause you stress and pain. Well, you could have a craving to be healthy. The, your craving to be healthy could make you anxious. It could make you obsessed with being uh, healthy. You could become a, a running addict or something like that. That would be bad. But if you have a general, calm, detached desire to be healthy, that's entirely appropriate. Okay, but it does cause you pain when you're not. If you're holding on to this idea that we should be healthy and Shh. you want to get rid of all pain... You would get rid of all desire, even that. I would, uh, I'd be careful about rushing too quick into kind of desiring to be in nirvana. I think your, your first goal as a Buddhist should be to kind of calm yourself and rationally order your desires and try to free yourself from cravings that are making you feel disoriented and in turmoil in this world. Okay. I rushed into my take on the core of it without giving the true description. Can, mm -hmm. It's a lot of, actually, it's it's another example of, I feel like Buddhism has a core, excellent premise, mm -hmm. but then they painted all kinds of bells and whistles on it that I have a problem with. Can you give us the whole thing, bells and whistles and all, the eightfold path and all that? Uh, that would be difficult for me to do do in a one-hour show but that, when we're going to talk about other religions as well. Yeah, you got to give me the, the bullet points on it. Okay, four noble truths. First noble truth is that life is suffering. Now, when they say life is suffering, they're not saying you're miserable all the time. They're saying that there's always something wrong uh, with life. So, and, and if you focus on that, if you're, if you're self-centered, uh, that's going to cause you to suffer. Second noble truth, there is a cause of suffering, okay, so, so there's, it comes from somewhere, and that cause is craving. Uh, third noble truth, there is an end to suffering. There's a potential, potential uh, 
other's way of being, and that is nirvana. And then the fourth noble truth is that the eightfold path are the practices that will guide you eventually, possibly over many, many lifetimes, it will po eventually guide you to nirvana. Okay. See, I can, I can handle that. I'm down with that. It's concise. It's easily yep. understandable. Then the eightfold path, it helps you achieve. Can you give me the eight things or some of them? I can give you some I, of them. I don't know if I can remember all, right. all of them that's offhand. Right. Give, give folks the idea of what sure, they're Sure. Like. They're, they're um, ideas like right intention. So, for example, uh, you hear the truth, the Four Noble Truths, and you decide to practice them. Right, uh, right, right view. You have to understand reality correctly, which is basically how the Buddha uh, interpreted reality. Then you have to do some right practices. You have to have a right livelihood. You can't be a butcher. You can't be a hitman for organized crime. You have to have, uh, you can't steal. Okay. You can't take intoxicants. Okay. You have to practice meditation. So these are commonalities, you know, how to live your life that you find in, in all religions. Basic ethics, okay. but, but Buddhism also includes the practice of meditation as absolutely necessary. And the practice um, basically holding the same view as the Buddha is also essential to uh, freeing yourself from the suffering in life. Tell me about the Buddha. The Buddha, of, there's a fantastic documentary about the Buddha by, by PBS, two-hour documentary. It's absolutely fantastic. I highly recommend it. The Buddha was born noble. He had a almost perfect life growing up. And the perfect the reason for that perfect life is to illustrate to people that if you if you grow up wealthy and good looking and healthy and rich as a prince, life will still be unsatisfying because you're still going to age, you're still going to get sick, and you're still going to die. And nobody can avoid aging, getting sick, and dying. So that's universal. So he resolved, once he, once he realized that he would also get sick at some point and age and die, he resolved to free himself from the cycle of suffering. And so he went out and meditated. First, he practiced extreme asceticism, denying himself food, denying himself comfort, etc. He did that for six or seven years. That did not work. He almost starved to death. He almost drowned. They decided okay, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to take the golden mean. We're going to take a, a medium path. And at that point, he began to meditate. And he eventually, you know, um, Mara, the lord of samsara, tried to distract him from his meditations. But he persisted, persevered, and he achieved nirvana. And then at first, he thought, man, this is, nobody's going to get this. I'm, I'm not even going to teach it. I'm just going to be in nirvana. But one of the uh, Hindu gods, Brahma, actually appeared to him and asked him to teach the Dharma. Because in according to Buddhism, even the gods need the Dharma. The gods, what is the Dharma? The Dharma are the teachings of the Buddha. Okay. The Dharma is the teachings of the Buddha. And even the gods are in samsara. They're in cyclic existence. And even they need to be released from samsara. So even they need the teachings of the Buddha. Pretty interesting. Yes. Uh, the idea to, in, the end game in Buddhism is to die. Uh, you keep coming back and keep coming back till you get it right. And finally, at the end, you don't come back, correct? When you finally well, get it right. Well, you don't come back, but that's not because you've died. That's because you've entered nirvana. Okay. And nirvana cannot be 
described. It's, it's beyond the reach of language. It's beyond the reach of concepts. They use some poetic analogies to describe it. They talk about being it being the cool cave on a summer day. They call, talk about it being the calm after the storm, the island in the midst of the flood. But these are metaphors describing something that is fundamentally indescribable. Okay. What, tell me a little bit about Shinto. Shinto. Shinto is far from my area of expertise. Uh, Japanese religion, it places a high value on nature, and it also is very much um, a Japanese ethnic religion. So it's um, the Japanese see themselves as descended from the sun god, and that um, it's declined in popularity in Japan after World War II. Okay. Hinduism and how that fits into everything. Hinduism is immensely complicated. Hinduism is really a closely related family of religions rather than one single religion. There's just tremendous, there's more variety within Hinduism than there is within, I would argue, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam combined. So Hinduism offers many, many different paths to um, moksha or release. Hinduism has some strains that are completely devotional. You achieve moksha uh, or release by worshiping Krishna, for example. Some of them are completely meditative. You achieve moksha by meditating and realizing your fundamental identity with Brahman. So you are Brahman, you are God, you are pure being, pure bliss, and pure consciousness. That's in Advaita Vedanta, for example. And they have other uh, means of achieving moksha through yoga, through uh, meditation, um, through ritual practice, etc. It feels similar to Buddhism in that release and nirvana are sort of the same. A lot of the terminology is similar. Okay. Confucianism and Taoism. Confucianism and Taoism, Chinese religions. Again, not my area of expertise, so I'm less certain when I speak about uh, Confucianism and Taoism. Confucianism tends to be very this-worldly, very practical. Um, the Confucian scholars who took Confucian exams, they, they ran the Chinese empires for thousands of years. Taoism uh, is much more mystical. And the Tao is, again, something that is beyond the reach of language, beyond the reach of concepts. And it has a, a, a very sophisticated uh, priestly structure. And it, has, it's, it can be associated somewhat with some uh, magical practices in uh, China. Some, some Taoist practitioners, for example, might claim to be 300 years old or something like that. Okay, this, I have about a minute, and this m might be a better question for a minute than getting into another religion. As you look at the whole list of them, there's a utilitarian angle to them. They help societies uh, yes. grow and exist and, and work. They should. They should, yes. but don't always, because well, the, the, the religion gets hijacked. The religion can get hijacked. Um, you know, certainly ISIS, for example— uh, which is practicing an extremely brutally harsh form of um, Sharia law in, uh, in what they called their, their, the, the new caliphate that was hijacked, um, that was not healthy, not constructive. There have been other periods where um, 
religions have have ruled an area and been very benevolent. All right, done a good take, job. Let's take a break. Great, great job. Thank you. We have another half an hour to go, and at this point. I would like to go ahead and ask you to feel free to call in 617-254-1030, 617-254-1030. We're going to be getting into the Christianities and the related stuff. Busy. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. We're with John Paul Sidner, Associate Professor of Theology and Religious Studies at the Great Emmanuel College, and thanks for coming in. They're lucky to have you. Uh, thank you. We're, we're going, thanks for having me. We're, we're going through some religions, and when we get to Christianity, we'll go through the... I'm curious to know about what a Presbyterian is, what a Methodist is, and how, how that all breaks down. So we'll, I guess, m- move past... Well, let's go to Islam, and then Judaism and Christianity. So, Islam... Okay, so <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah, Islam, I'm not discuss. sure where to start. Okay, it might be better to do them in historical order of appearance. In which case, you would do G- Judaism, and then Christianity, All right. and then Islam. All right. So Judaism kind of comes out of prehistory, and uh, it, and according to the Bible, it begins. The story in the Bible begins with creation itself. Um, but as far as historical knowledge of Judaism, we start seeing signs of it about 3,000 years ago. And it's a fascinating story because it's uh, a strictly monotheistic religion. And it's really one of the first, if not the first, purely monotheistic religions that we have come to know. And at the same time, it also had, it's called what's ethical monotheism. So it's not just that there's one God, but this one God is very involved in our personal lives and in our social lives, the, the life of the society, and wants people to be good and um, kind and just, wants society to be just, does not want a huge gap between the rich and the poor, for example, does not want people to steal, uh, does not also is, is a jealous God and does not want people to worship other gods. So in this, this uh, appearance of this monotheistic God who is concerned about us and our conduct ends up having a huge influence on Christianity and Islam. And of course, when you combine Christianity and Islam together, you have over half of the world's inhabitants these days. So it's, it's a very, Judaism is influential, not so much through its own numbers as through the numbers of the two offshoot religions that it influenced. All right, so then you get to the year zero and yep. uh, Christianity. What was the situation that caused, allowed Christianity to, to kind of blow up like it did? 
So that's a very good question, and uh, there's debate about why Christianity became the world's largest religion. Of course, Jesus was a Jew. He was a um, Jewish rabbi, a teacher, um, not formally educated, but extremely intelligent, extremely charismatic, and he's taking part in Jewish debates with other Jews at that time period, and he's placing a very, very... um, large uh, emphasis on compassion and uh, kindness over legalism, or kind of like a rigid adherence yeah. to the law. And, and a redemption. Correct. And he's also um, very, very critical of the, the huge gap between the rich and the poor that was existent at that time in Judea under Roman rule. And, but at the same time, he's, he's, he's taking Judaism— and he's making it, as, as other Jews were doing at the time, a highly universalistic religion in the sense that God calls us to be kind not just to our co-religionists, not just to people who are like us, but to everyone unconditionally. And that was uh, a radical breakthrough. I have to raise my hand. Go ahead. You've been talking about Jesus not being cool with a huge gap between the rich and the poor. Yes. So wouldn't that make... Uh, capitalism inconsistent with Christianity because we, as pure capitalism, un, unfettered, you get a huge gap between the rich and the poor, as we have now. Is there a problem there? I mean, would Jesus, if alive today, say, "Sorry, capitalism as it as you see it now and as you're practicing it now is not cool." I am not sure what Jesus would say. I mean, about based capitalism. on what he said then, he would, unless he changed his mind, he would have to say that now. Well, let's. I would. Having, I was a Peace Corps volunteer in Poland soon after communism fell in Poland. And in, under communism, there was a large gap between the privileged Communist Party right. members and the people who weren't. Right. So in every society, there seems to be quite a gap between the people who have power and the people who don't have power, um, including in capitalism. I think, I mean, I'm, I, this is what I think. I think Jesus would want to see the wealth that capitalism produces distributed more widely. Okay. As it is, I would say, in Scandinavian countries like Sweden, for example. And, okay, Jesus might like the system, but say, hey, Bill Gates, you have $100 billion. That's ridiculous. You should have maybe $1 billion. Give the rest away. I think uh, Jesus would probably say that. All right, good. So I do, I am, Jesus backs me up on my beef with, with uh, Bill Gates. Give some of that away, will you? And even Warren Buffett, who's a nice guy, $100 billion, dude, use that for, for good. We'll move on. Hopefully they will in the future. All right. Uh, so we get to Christianity. Have we covered Christianity yet? Sort of, yeah. Uh, how it came to be and why it exploded. I guess it was a kinder, gentler thing. Uh, you know, it, it does seem as though Judaism, old school Judaism, was harsh. Christianity is much nicer you get perhaps to live forever and it's just well, a, it's just a, a more pleasant system to live under maybe that's why it was so popular i uh, i think um the the early christian church which grew up in the roman empire and it used the roman empire's um safe seas and safe roads to spread uh there's there's a lot of debate about why it grew so quickly certainly the inspiration that the early disciples received after the uh, crucifixion, but then resurrection of Jesus Christ, 
which was a shared experience amongst the early church, they were highly inspired by this, and they were very energetically um, preaching this new risen Savior and the redemption that he had to offer. They were also excellent at forming communities, and these communities were very helpful to one another. So in a very poor age in which a lot of people were sick and a lot there was a shortage of food, these communities were um, like a welfare system for, for members of the church. So that attracted people into the church. The uh, moral teachings of the church, um, you know, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't kill, uh, be generous, give, etc. Those were attractive to people. So why this particular religion grew so much faster than other religions is debatable, but it, it definitely had some qualities that make for a successful uh, religion. So you get to 7th century, right? 60, 600s? Yes. He, then all of a sudden you have Muhammad. Correct. And that also exploded. That exploded very rapidly. And why was that so attractive? Muhammad was able to take the warring tribes on the Saudi Arabian Peninsula, um, Arabic tribes, who were practicing polytheism at the time, worshiping uh, many different gods, uh, Arabic gods, and unite them under one monotheistic god. He was very much a universal god, the one god of the universe. And Muhammad had a very coherent message, which is that God made us. It's very similar to, to what we've learned from Judaism. God made us. God is concerned about us. God wants to be in relationship with us. God wants us to treat one another kindly. God wants us to give to the poor. And one day we will be judged, and we will be judged based on our conduct and our worship. Did we worship the one God, and did we conduct ourselves virtuously and righteously? A lot of similarities with Christianity. Very, very similar and, to Judaism and, and where, Christianity. Where is it divergent? Where is it divergent? The Quran definitely um, it, it talks about Jesus and Mary a lot. Jesus is a very important prophet in the Quran. But Jesus is not the son of God. Jesus is the son of Mary in the Quran. So Jesus is not uh, divine himself. He's a prophet like Muhammad, like Moses, like Noah, like Adam in the Quran. So that's one divergence. The other, um, of course, by way of consequence, the Quran rejects the Christian trinity, that God is three persons as one God. The Quran believes that God is tawhid, which means pure um, and nothing can be associated with the purity of God. There's one God, and that, that purity is absolute. Oh, you're a very good guest. Thank you. I'm doing my best. Um, one question, one more question before the break, and that is, how much of what—tell me what's true about Islam and what's made up, what's cultural and what's religious. What, what is uh, just a stuff people made up? Like it's, the 72 virgins. Give me the real stuff and give me the made-up stuff and the cultural stuff, which is not the real stuff. It's very, very difficult to distinguish a religion from its culture because every religion exists within a culture, and that's, it's, it's manifests itself through a culture. So to kind of s try to separate it from the culture is it might be an artificial endeavor. What is a religion well, without its cultural expression, well, it might, without its architecture, without its prayer, without its scripture, without its stories, well, it et, might cetera, be important. et cetera, For example, women are 
expected to cover themselves, and it said, they say it's a religious thing, but it's not in the Quran. All it says is dress modestly. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say about covering most of your skin. Mm-hmm. So, Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That would, you know, to figure out whether or not that was cultural or religious would be worthwhile. If you're, especially if you're a woman. Correct. So I would say that's cultural. And I would actually say that as Islam expanded, particularly into the Byzantine Empire and the Persian Empire, they encountered um, wealthier women who were covered. And the wealthier women were covered because the lower class people were, were not allowed to see them. So the original intention behind covering, it was actually more class thing, egalitarian mm. move been a sexist move. Hmm. Now, once you get to a situation like in Afghanistan under the Taliban or ISIS where women are forced, compelled under um, threat of physical harm to be covered from head to foot, I would argue that is a sexist okay. and patriarchal expression of a culture rather than the religion. Okay, important, because say you have uh, somebody who believes that is their religion, insists on going completely covered into a federal building and they say, no, you can't. And they go, well, it's my religion. I think you have to know that it's not and say it's not. Well, I think you have to be flexible in different cultures and be adaptable to the culture and, um, you know, go along to get along in the culture that you're in. So, okay. And and we all do that when we travel. The 72 virgins. I don't know anything about that. Well, that's I, I, I've read the Quran. Okay. That's not in the Quran. Okay, there you I go. I don't know where that came from. Okay. And I, I just have to point out something that seems ridiculous and sad, and that is the war between the Shia and the Sunni. All the fighting they do and the killing done because of some disagreement about descendancy. Correct. It's just it a, so sad and ridiculous. And to me, that kind of demeans the whole, it insults the whole religion. Well, um, as does the 30 years war between the Protestants and Catholics in yeah. Europe between 1618 and 1648, yeah. when you have a bunch of people following Jesus Christ who said, uh, love your enemies, and instead they're slaughtering their enemies and burning them at the stake and burning down their houses and towns. That's obviously, um, they're not really getting the message. So it is, folks, I would say very much the same thing between the Shias and, and the Sunni. Tell the folks that the, you know, the situation in the beginning that caused the problem. So there was a, a disagreement. I, I don't know if I can remember the details perfectly. Um, I'm, Islam's not my focus, but there was a disagreement about who would take over after um, the fourth caliph died, and some people wanted um, Ali to take over. And some people wanted, oh my goodness, I'm forgetting. Yeah, someone the names. else. Yeah. And that was this, that's the whole thing. Yeah. And 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 the the Shiites are the Shia, the partisans of Ali. And then the Sunnis wanted the other leader whose name escapes me at the moment. 
And it was it was basically a disagreement about who would be the new leader yeah. of the caliphate. It was not a theological disagreement like Christians have tended right. to be divided over theology. So they believe the this, same stuff. This was just leadership. Yeah. So we're at Christianity now. Somebody asked the other night, why the Christians insist why does Christianity insist that you get to God through Jesus? Why I mean, why can't we just acknowledge Jesus, Son of God, you know, died for our sins? But why can't we just talk to God? Why why is Jesus in the chain of command? Um, I mean, I'm I'm a Christian myself, but I'm a Christian because I find Jesus um, a, an extremely attractive, compelling, charismatic personality and religious teacher. And I, when I learn from Jesus, I feel like I'm learning about God. But uh, as a Christian, I also respect other people's relationships with God. So they might relate to God through Krishna. Uh, they might uh, relate to God through studying the Quran. They might relate to God through practicing Judaism. And I, I respect different people's different ways of interacting with God. Do, as a Christian, do you need to... Can't you just talk to God directly? Absolutely. You can, because there's Absolutely. some people that are under the impression you can't. I think that God hears everybody's prayers no matter what religion they practice. When you talk to God, do you think in Jesus or God? Um, I tend to pray to God more than Jesus. Okay. I, some, a listener gave me a Bible right in the first paragraph. God created man in his own image so that he could worship him. That doesn't seem very godlike to me. It seems like a human frailty, to need to create something to worship you. That seems like a f personality flaw that a God would not have. And so right away I had a problem with the Bible. Help me out. <laughs> Well, I would say that, um, it, I mean, certainly to say God created human beings in order to be worshipped so that God could be worshipped makes God seem narcissistic yeah. and quite insecure. Yes, exactly. Uh, so right I, away, I, I, what's that about? Yeah, I, I wouldn't put it that way. But I would right say, there in the, says it right there in the Bible. I would say that God summoned us out of um, nothingness into existence, for which I'm very grateful. God is sustaining us in existence at every moment. God is loving us into being at every moment. And I would say God wants us to be in relationship with God. And uh, God wants to be in relationship with us. So it's more like a healthy human being who desires relationship and values relationship rather than an insecure narcissist who needs to be worshipped. One way to get at why we are here is to get at why would God create us? So why did God create us? I think God created us as a gift to us because God celebrates life and likes life. And um, Why would he stop with just one bunch of beings? Uh, you know, it seems arbitrary. I don't know that she did. Okay. There may be others. Correct. Okay. There we, I mean, this is a massive universe. There might be uh, millions of, okay. of planets with intelligent life on them. So a lot of people fear that when they find other in, intelligent civilizations that... That's going to be a problem for Christianity, but no, it's not. I, I, Why I would, would it, right? If, if I were to meet an alien intelligence, you know, people would have all kinds of questions. The mathematicians would want to talk to them about math, and the philosophers would want to talk to them about philosophy. I would start talking to them about their religion, and I'm, I'm certain they would have some form yeah. of religion. It, I would say to people who think they're only humans that it would be weird that God would arbitrarily just create one Set of There's, beings. It's a mighty big universe for yeah. just one planet. Especially, and have the rest of the universe be empty. Correct. Wouldn't make sense to me. Too weird. Okay, now, 
we've had so much fun. You only have four minutes to break down the subdivisions of Christianity, like Presbyterian, Methodist. I know you can do it because you're a pro. That's. <laughs> I'm going to do three. Okay. I'm going to. I'm going to stick with Orthodoxy, Eastern Orthodoxy, Roman Catholicism, okay. and um, Protestantism. Okay. Okay. Just make it a little bit simpler. So Eastern Orthodoxy, uh, the the um, church was pretty well united, reasonably united. And then in 1054, there was a schism, and the Eastern churches became the Orthodox churches, and the Western church became the Roman Catholic church. That's called the Great Schism, okay? Now, about uh, 500 years after that, the Protestant Reformation began when an Augustinian monk named Martin Luther was upset with some of the practices of the Roman Catholic Church, had no intention of starting a new religion, uh, or splitting from the Catholic Church, really just wanted to reform it. Things got a little out of hand, and he ended up um, splitting from the church, and that became the Lutheran Church. Uh, about 30 years later, there's a, a genius, French genius, named John Calvin, and he started writing, and, and people started following his writings, and that, that became Calvinism. What do uh, Calvinists believe? They're kind of hardcore, right? Calvinists uh, can be hardcore, uh, Presbyterians are modern-day Calvinists, and they they kind of, because so many people were trying to earn their salvation and were anxious about earning their salvation and worried about their salvation, there is a huge influence in Calvinism on the grace of God. So, so much emphasis on the grace of God that they basically said there's nothing you could do to earn your salvation. It all came from God. So relax. So relax. Um, and that's, yeah, that was Calvinism in a, in a nutshell. Anything, did you get to all the things you wanted to get to? Well, I would, I would, t t I would need to mention Pentecostalism okay. briefly because Pentecostalism, Pentecostalism started about a hundred years ago in Los Angeles at Azusa street mission. And there are now over 500 million Pentecostal, highly, um, Holy spirit influenced Christians in the world. It's a very rapidly growing form of Christianity. 60 seconds on the following. Uh, a caller called me and said, there's nothing in the Bible that says uh, it's that uh, being rich is a problem. That's not true. There's all kinds of stuff in the Bible that says being rich is a problem, correct? Uh, there is. Jesus said there's, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a, a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And then there's Lazarus. Jesus taught the story of the rich man and Lazarus, and the rich man did not care for the poor man Lazarus and ended up in um, hell, and even in um, Luke's version of the Beatitudes, there are also some anathemas where he says, Jesus says, Cursed are ye who are rich, for you have received your consolation. So those uh, Christianity, Christians that are wearing $300 suits, like your Austin's... $3,000 suits. $3,000. That's uh, not compatible with Christianity, correct? I believe the prosperity gospel is unfaithful to the message of Jesus Christ. There it is. You're a great guest. We didn't have time to get to everything. Thank we got you for a broad, me. broad brush. Maybe you'll come back and you know we'll dig, we'll drill down on one of the aspects of the things we talked about tonight. Love to talk to you. Thank again. you. Thank Wonderful. You. Again, John Paul Sidner. Again, they're lucky to have you over there. It's BZ.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.